I'd like to start tonight's talk with a story that I heard some years ago about a uh, blind man that was sitting at the steps of a, a building uh, trying to had his hat out and a sign at his feet that said, I am blind, please help. And then his creative publicist passed by and he stopped to observe and he saw that the blind man only had a few coins in his hat, so he dropped in a few of his own and then asked for permission and took the sign and rewrote it, put it down, left it there. That afternoon he came back and he noticed that the blind man's hat was full of bills and coins. And the blind man recognized his footsteps and asked if if it was he who had rewritten the sign and wanted to know what he had written on it. And the publicist responded, nothing that was not true. I just wrote the message a little differently. The new sign read, today is spring and I cannot see it. Yeah. So there's something about that that resonates for us when we listen and it's really that that kind of blindness is the suffering that we all experience at times when we're not awake and there's something in us that senses we're missing out on life senses that and senses we're kind of caught in a trance and racing through our days and worrying and planning and not taking in spring and of course it's particularly when it's like this we want to take it in and yet there's not a moment in our life that's not like that that we can't arrive and really discover a fullness of being so what I've noticed I kind of tracked in my own path you know for these decades of meditation that there have been two major forces that really motivate and I can feel it and sometimes the force that's motivating inside me is for love this love of life and this yearning to open to love and feel loving and just be immersed love this aliveness of spring and then the other energy is this energy of wanting to know truth you know that question you know what is what is reality this, this profound interest in the nature of things. And so I sometimes play a kind of game with myself where I'll, at any given moment, say, okay, so what's most important? And, and sometimes it's, I just want to be in love, you know, that kind of thing. And at other times it's, I really want to know what's true. And I found that if I go deep into either of those energies, they merge that when I am connected with what feels most true, I'm absolutely in love. And when I'm absolutely in love, um, I'm realizing the nature of things, that they're not different. But they have different feeling tones as we enter into them. And for the last few weeks, we've been exploring self-compassion, right? And, And that's the wing of the love. That's like learning to love the life that's here. And the other wing, the second wing that we explore regularly is this wing of understanding or seeing truth. And I'd like to tonight uh, go further into how we wake up that wing and in particular how we wake up that wing by inquiry, by investigating our moment-to-moment experience.
So why is investigation uh, the Buddha described as really one of the factors of enlightenment? And it's, it's necessary to see what's true. And there's a phrase in Pali I've always loved, and it's ehipasiko. And it means, come and see for yourself. The Buddha's basic message is, okay, there's all these teachings, a lot of these words, and use them as a pointer. But the only way to be free is to enter into your own experience, look into the nature of your own mind. So in, in what I offer out, these different talks, they're like, um, as one friend said, it's, it's kind of like these talks, what I'm teaching is kind of like this welcome mat, but you have to walk through the door, you know? You can go ahead and step on me, he says, you know? So just to share with you that one of my favorite stories on this theme is back at the Insight Meditation Society of, uh, you know, that was, that's in Massachusetts. This took place many years ago at a, a three-month retreat. And they had a Korean Zen master that sat in on the retreat and kind of listened as the different teachers gave talks on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and the Three Characteristics of Reality. And it was, you know, that went on. And then at the very end, he was invited to, to address the community. This is at the end of a three-month retreat. And he took his you know, stick, pounded the floor, and he said, <laughs> this is very notable, he goes, everything all wrong, teachings all wrong. <laughs> he says, nothing matters, just one question. What is this? What is this? It's this question like, who am I? What's really true? And what I like so much about that, you know, because in a way you can imagine how all the teachers and students are thinking, well, everything, you know, for these last three months. But what he's really saying, which is so powerful, is that if we really want to know what's true, there's this profound inquiry, this interest that energizes our awakening. That there's something in us, and I'm sure you wouldn't be here if you hadn't, you know, had, had the sense of it that wants to know truly what's the nature of things. Really, who am I? So we explore, um, we explore this and one of the ways that we often enter is through our emotional suffering that we know, and I've spoken to so many people that have said this kind of despair that we're repeating patterns. You know, I'm playing out the same insecurities as I've been playing out decades and decades. You know, or I'm, I'm, I drive people away with this kind of judgment, or I'm still down on myself, you know. So we run through the same uh, familiar cocoon of thinking. We know how that is. And as one uh, teacher, Sri Narsargadatta, put it, our illusion, the transfer in, exists because we haven't investigated it. The unexamined mind. There's a saying that history repeats itself, which is good because most people don't pay attention the first time anyway. (laughs) So So the only way to step out of our patterns, and this is the traditional metaphor, is that we imagine that we're in this dark room and we're shining a light into a dark room 
and we're shining a light to see what's actually happening. That's one of the inquiries. That what's really happening right now? What's the experience right now? And we're shining a light also to sense who are we? And what's really aware right now? And they're both completely interrelated questions, as we'll explore tonight. One question is, what's happening? What's the the form, the expression of aliveness that's happening right now? And the second question, you know, what's aware of that? What's that empty, silent, listening essence that's aware? So, how do we sense the context for this investigation? First, there's this commitment, and it's this kind of, it's it's this real willingness to put aside the inner dialogue. And that's the training we do a lot. And it just takes practice. It's just not believing our thoughts. You know, we live in a lot of ideas about things. And we believe what people tell us, we believe the news, we believe that our thoughts about things are the thing themselves. Somebody sent this to me recently that, okay, so it's time to elect a new world leader and only your vote counts. Here are the facts about three candidates. Candidate A associates with crooked politicians and consults with astrologists. He has, he's had two mistresses, chain smokes and drinks eight to ten martinis a day. Okay, that's your first choice. Second choice. He was kicked out of office twice, sleeps until noon, used opium in college, and drinks a quart of whiskey every evening. Okay, candidate two. Candidate three. He's a decorated war hero, he's a vegetarian, doesn't smoke, drinks an occasional beer, and never committed adultery. So which of these candidates would be your choice? And then uh, when you scroll down, you find out candidate number one, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Candidate number two, Winston Churchill. Candidate number three, Adolf Hitler. I only share that for the purpose that we just make assumptions. We have a lot of associations for somebody that's a loser, what that looks like, somebody that's a winner, good, bad, right, wrong. And just to be able to put that aside. And the second quality that I'll mention is a sense of uncertainty, like living with uncertainty. But what happens Rather than setting aside our ideas, we not only live in ideas, we really kind of circle around in a story about who we are that blocks us from paying attention, from real inquiry. As long as we're believing our story that I should be different, this is how people are paying attention to me, this is what I have to do to be okay, we're caught in a trance that can't see what's real. This is Pema Chodron. She says, being preoccupied with our self-image is like being deaf and blind. It's like standing in the middle of a vast field of wildflowers with a black hood over our heads. It's like coming upon a tree of singing birds while wearing earplugs. So isn't it true on a spring day if we're spinning in thoughts of what's wrong with us or wrong with someone else, if we're in that kind of shrunken mind state, we can't see the wildflowers or the cherry blossoms or hear the birds. 
So releasing the stories, just seeing them and beginning to wake up from them and living with kind of uncertainty. It's like being willing to not know, being willing to wonder. My ancestors wandered lost in the wilderness for 40 years because even in biblical times, men would not stop to ask directions. <laughs> Putting aside our certainty like we know, because we do kind of go around with that, you know, the, this kind of, you see people busily being important and on their way somewhere as if they know where they're going and what they're doing and who they are and what's the world, you know, not being so certain. So we'll pause here just for a moment and let me invite you to begin this investigating with just a very, very simple way. There is a sense of stopping so that we perhaps close our eyes and check inside and just sense what's going on. Investigation begins with this interest or curiosity that in a sense is asking, so what is happening? What is the experience right here? So just begin your inquiry that way with, with a curiosity, not assuming you know, what's most prominent, what's most compelling. And again, just this moment, what's the experience? We drift pretty quickly. So the inquiry stays very up to the moment. Okay, right now. Again, just right now. Sense the here-ness and with interest, whatever feels predominant in the foreground. And this deepening of the inquiry to sense the foreground of perhaps sensations or sounds. Maybe you have thoughts wafting through. And then sense the background. What's aware of this? It's not a mental inquiry, just kind of turning the attention to what's aware right now? What's listening? What's aware of feelings? Just relaxing with whatever's noticed, just being that. So what happens when we begin to ask questions? is one basic thing. We become more present. 
in the moment that I say, well, what's going on inside you right now? There's more presence. That is the, the purpose of investigation. It shines the light of presence on the present moment and it allows us actually to become that presence, to come home. Now, I just want to mention briefly as we explore this quality of, of mindfulness what wise investigation is not which is it's not a process of figuring things out we're not investigating to sense well I'm having a bad experience now because well when I was in college I got criticized or something and I've been unable to be myself since then well actually it started you know and going back in time it, that's not it it's not figuring things out it's not a kind of problem solving because often, I mean, that's an important part of our mental equipment. But the kind of investigation we're talking about here is a quality of presencing. So we know where, where some problem solving goes. And I'll just share you a little, um, something I got sent a few years ago. It says that after every flight, Qantas pilots, Qantas is an airlines, fill out a form called a gripe sheet. And it, it describes, mechanics are t- talking about the problems with the aircraft. And then the mechanics investigate and solve the problem. And they record the solutions. So the, this is a bit of a sheet of problems and solutions. By the way, Qantas is the only major airline, from what I gather, that um, has never had a jet fatality. Okay, problem. Left inside main tire almost needs replacement. Solution, almost replaced left inside main tire. (laughs) Problem, dead bugs on windshield. Solution, live bugs on back order. (laughs) Problem, DME volume unbelievably loud. Solution, DME volume set to more believable level. Problem, IFF inoperative. Solution, IFF always inoperative in off mode. Problem. Suspected crack in windshield. Solution, suspect you're right. (laughs) Problem, aircraft handles funny. Solution, aircraft warned to straighten up, fly right and be serious. (laughs) I'll just give you a few more. Problem, mouse in cockpit. Solution, cat installed. (laughs) Problem, noise coming from under instrument panel. Sounds like a midget pounding on something with a hammer. (laughs) Solution, took hammer away from midget. (laughs) So, it's not problem solving. It's not answering the question why. You know, it's not the sense of why is there evil in the world or whatever. It's not a kind of disengagement. We're not investigating, so we're stepping back and taking a look from a distance. Some of you might remember Zen and the art of reading all the books about Zen, you know. (laughs) So we're not stepping back in any such way. It really has to do with interest in what's true. I remember reading one coach uh, had said to a former football player, what is it with you? Is it ignorance or apathy? And the response was, coach, I don't know and I don't care. Okay, so we're going to look more closely now at the three gifts of investigation. And one of them is emotional healing. Okay. One of them is a profound understanding and intimacy with others. 
and the third is an, a realization of who we are. These are the three. And we'll start with emotional suffering and just to say there is a, um, maybe a way to put it as a kind of a formula for suffering, which is we're having thoughts that are sometimes not in our awareness but they have beliefs in them that we're believing. Our body's biochemistry, because we're believing the beliefs, is in a very unpleasant state. Of course, that then triggers off more negative thoughts. So we're in a looping. And at least part of the looping is outside of our awareness. So we're identified with it. Now, does that make sense? It's just a formula. Beliefs we're believing, feelings we're having, they're circling, and we're identified, which means that our sense of who we are has contracted to become that. I am these thoughts and feelings. This this is a description of what I am and my reality. So we're in a trance. And what investigating does is by bringing presence to that looping, it loosens it so that we can remember, oh, that's not me. There's not so much identification. In a moment of mindfulness, we are not as hitched to the thoughts and the feelings. So one, I'll give you an example of one young woman I worked with some years ago who had graduated from college and then she started working for an environmental nonprofit, and she was working with a very, very uh, bright group of people, all very accomplished in their own way. And she was the new kid on the block and it triggered off a lot of insecurity. So every time they'd have their weekly meetings uh, to, you know, sense what's happening, and every time they'd have the small groups where they were doing brainstorming or reporting in, she found that even more than normal, even more than what you would see from her insecurity, she just got tongue-tied and was very... and she just kind of babbled a bit. So she wanted to find a way to start working with and having more presence with what was going on. And so she started practicing RAIN, which is the acronym we use often for a mindful awareness. So on her own she'd get in touch with feeling insecure, just recognize and allow it, let it be there. And then she'd begin to investigate. The eye of RAIN is investigation with an intimate attention. It's a kind investigation, okay? And so she'd start feeling as she investigated this kind of tight pressure in the chest and a kind of squeeze to the throat. She became aware of the belief that they're going to think I'm stupid and reject me. Okay? That's the fear that something's wrong and I'll get rejected. And the more she became aware of that belief, the more she could feel the fear as a very, very tight clenching. And then she asked a question, and I find this a very powerful kind of part of investigation, which is really, what does this fear want from me? What does it want from me? And she listened, and what she got back from the fear, when she said, what do you want from me, is just to accept that I'm here just to accept that I'm here, not try to get rid of me, not think I'm wrong. And so that became her practice. She used the word, sometimes been very valuable kind of mantra of, it's like this. It's a mantra that from a uh, Ajahn Sumedho, who's an American 
uh, monk, the head of an abbot in Great Britain. It's like this. She would just say that firmly but gently. What do you need? Oh, accept, accept. It's like this. And what she found is that there was more space when she could do that and that the fear was there but she, in the meetings and so on, gradually just her humor and her intelligence started coming through. But that let her deepen her inquiry. She'd feel the squeeze still to some degree, the sense of insecurity. There's some of the, the thoughts and feelings still looping. But then she'd really say, you know, am I really this person that's insecure and tongue-tied at times? Just ask that question. Is that really me? And the response was, you know, that's not me. I don't know what I am. It wasn't like she all of a sudden was aware of her true nature. It was like, but that's not me. That's smaller than me. That gave her a lot of freedom. I found in my own practice that just asking, is this really me? <laughs> you know, when I get irritable or grumpy or whatever it is, is this, is this uh, speedy, uptight person really me? You know, just asking that. Some deep intuition knows that's not me and there's a little more humor and there's a little more space and in that space a little more of the expression of who we are can shine through. So this is just an an example of when we're stuck just investigating what's really happening? Where do I feel it right now? What am I believing? Is this really me? opens up the space and there's not as much identification. So, we'll just practice a little. Of course, we're not gonna, we don't have a lot of time to do a deep inquiry, but just practice a little bit right now with investigation with stuck places. So as you pause, you might take a few breaths just to collect your attention. Come right here. I mentioned the words, the unexamined mind. You might sense if there's some part of your life where you know you go into a trance, where you get small. And I wouldn't pick something that's traumatic or really pulls you apart, but somewhere you just know you get reactive, either angry or hurt easily, anxious. might be something when you're with other people or at work, close relationship, something that happens when you're not feeling well, when your mind isn't operating well. Just to sense where you go into trance and, and for now, just to recognize it and allow it. Just say, okay, so this is happening. and then with an interest to begin to investigate. Okay, so when this is happening, maybe what am I believing? Maybe there's some core belief. Again, not to go searching too much. If it doesn't come, 
then just let that be. But maybe there's some belief I'm failing, things will never go my way, I need to be different to be okay. I can't trust other people, I can't trust myself. So there's this investigating. And then let the investigating come into the body. When you're in this place, in this reaction, in this trance, what's going on in your body? Just feel your throat, your chest, your belly. Let it be a gentle investigation. For some of you, if you find it helpful to put your hand on your chest or your cheek or your belly, just to kind of connect so you know you're asking these questions with a care, with an interest in care. What do I feel when I'm in this trance? So you start to begin to shine the light of awareness. Maybe asking, what does the part in me need from me? that's feeling vulnerable, that's afraid or angry or hurt, what does it need for me? Does it need forgiveness that it's there? Does it need acceptance, kindness? Sometimes these parts are like these shy animals that will hide in the woods and when we want to call them out into the field of awareness just with an interest and a care. So what's happening right now? Just sensing as you deepen this inquiry, just paying attention. You know, is this person that's reacting in trance really who I am? Is this really who I am? Bringing your attention very much right here, just sensing what's going on in your heart, your body, with interest. And you might even ask, so who's aware of this? What is aware right now? This is uh, an example of bringing this investigation to emotional tangles. And for many people, the story that we're believing is a very, very compelling belief. It's like, yes, I know the story that I'm a flawed person's a belief, and I believe it. You know, it's like that. And so it takes a willingness to keep coming back and just noticing, okay, so this is the story. Okay, so what am I feeling right now? Okay, can I really be with that? Until we become more and more familiar with being present with. And there's more and more of a sense of 
the presence that's here rather than being caught inside the story. For one woman who um, I worked with, the story was that I'll never find a partner that I can be intimate with. You know, and, and so we began to investigate that. How does that feel in your body when you're believing that? And there was this sinking feeling and this shame and I'm, I'm just undeserving and it'll never happen. And I said, so how, when you're believing this, how does it feel to live with those feelings? And she's just felt like how she goes around in the day with this kind of sense of no possibility, this weight. And we many, many times visited it like, okay, so this belief and this feeling and she kind of gradually got the sense of, okay, there's an awareness that this is happening. It's not the entire universe. And I remember the day I said, who would you be without this story that you'll never find a partner? Who would you be? And it was a really interesting process because there wasn't like an answer but there was all of a sudden this sense of aliveness. And she said that she got this sense of, it wasn't exactly excitement but this sense of dynamism. Like all of a sudden she came alive when she even intuited, well, who would I be if I didn't have that story? That story so much encased and dragged down and made small her sense of being. And the most she could describe when I asked that was, you know, who would I be? I'd be aliveness. You know, she said I'd be creative, I'd be open. And she many times got lost in believing the story, but it was very helpful for her to keep feeling it in her body and say, who would I be if I didn't believe this? So that's one level, this emotional healing. Now the next I'd like to bring in is, what happens when we bring the same inquiry, the same interest, to what's here, to each other. You know, what happens when we start asking the question, you know, when we're with somebody, what's it like to be this person? Now, it's not, that's not so common. Again, as Pema Chodhan described, we're usually living in this kind of spin or cocoon of moi, you know, all our stories about me. But what happens if we pause And really, when we're with someone, dear friend or somebody, a clerk at the supermarket, wherever, we pause and just ask that question. Well, what's it like to be this person? What does this person need? And even deeper, you know, who is looking through those eyes? Who's really there? We start to sense that same mystery of who's looking through our eyes. What happens if we begin to really, um, what we call, role reverse with people in the world? You know, we, we hear stories, but what if we begin to role reverse? What if we role reverse with somebody who's somewhat being demonized by our culture right now? I remember in one of our groups, a woman who was from Iran described what it was like to be her. And for a few moments, all of us just paused and we started it was like, what would it be like to be inside her body and heart and mind right now when so many people attach a kind of storyline to her? What would that be like? Are we gathered in a place like this, for those of you who are in the majority group or those of you listening and you know and you're in the majority, what would it be like to be a person of color in a, in a field of people that are white 
And just what would that be like? Can we ask ourselves? I mean, can we go inside another person's experience? Or as one friend who's a, a lesbian in a Christian church described, you know, she spent years being really involved with the choir and with the community there and finally came out and, came, and thought there would be a little more tolerance and really what she got was being very, very diminished, uh, kind of in, put in a, disease, in a disease kind of uh, category. What would that be like? It's important to ask because if we don't start asking this question we live with separations and we don't understand each other. We don't understand and we don't understand what the experience of difference is and we don't understand the deeper sense of who we are together. What would it be like if you are at work and there's somebody that is somewhat put down by other people? What would it be like to be that person? It's radical to stop and ask that. So Thoreau says the miracle is to look through another's eyes for even a moment. So that's part of the invitation of investigation. That's where this becomes a real tool for social transformation. We begin to investigate with courage and with an open-mindedness and an interest. What's happening inside me? And that same interest starts carrying over. What is it like for you? You know, what is it that this person needs? I heard recently this story. Uh, there was a training with uh, some men in the armed forces. And part of the training was this kind of inquiry where we begin to build positive relationships and understanding by asking questions, by, by having interest in asking questions. So here's, here's what he writes. He says, I talked to my eight-year-old son last night. He told me about an award he won at school. And usually I'd say something like, that's nice, you know, you know great, good job, good going, you know. But I, I used a skill we learned yesterday and I asked a bunch of questions. You know, I was interested. So, so I said, well, who was, I asked, who was there when he got the award? How did he feel receiving it? Where is he going to hang the award? About halfway through the conversation, he interrupted me and said, Dad, is this really you? <laughs> I knew what he meant by that. <laughs> It was the longest we had ever talked. <laughs> and I think we were both surprised by it. It was great. So it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but you get the idea that we get into habits with each other. We even get into habits of asking questions that we're not really interested in or that we're not really listening to the response. So I invite you to experiment because it really uh, dramatically creatively wakes us up in relationship is when you're talking to somebody in the near future pause enough to start wondering okay, so what's life like for this person? These are the two levels we've been talking about. What's it like for this person and who's really there? And ask questions that invite that person to express the who's there. And as you listen, you'll listen to the responses, the particular responses, but you'll also be listening to the who's there. 
Okay. Okay, so we've explored a bit, and I'd like to do a little bit of a practice on how we um, investigate with each other. Again, invite you to bring your attention inward. And to bring to mind another person who you might see fairly regularly and who you know is having a hard time. Okay? And this is the inquiry and investigation that leads to understanding and compassion. Somebody that's having a hard time. And imagine you could bring them right here into the space you're in. You might sense what's going on for them. The disappointments or fears the losses. And sense that you could just step right into their body, feel from the inside, just asking these questions, so what's it really like for this person? To look through their eyes. What does this person really most need, perhaps from you? Sensing how with inquiry, presence deepens, our heart opens. You might sense, who are you? when you're opening your heart-mind to the experience of another. Who are you when you're opening your attention to the experience of another? So, we've explored some how we begin to bring this interest and investigation to our inner life, to the what's happening, and we've explored how we begin to bring it to others. And I'd like to spend this last bit of tonight on what is often described as the most subtle level of the inquiry. When we start really asking, as I've invited you to do, well, who am I? Like, who's really here, listening, aware? And maybe um, as a way to do it, begin just to read you a short bit from Rachel Remen, wonderful physician and writer. She says, for the last ten years of his life, Tim's father had Alzheimer's disease. Despite the devoted care of Tim's mother, he had slowly deteriorated until he had become a sort of walking vegetable. He was unable to speak and was fed, clothed, and cared for as if he were a very young child. 
One Sunday, while Tim's mother was out doing the shopping, Tim and his brother, then 15 and 17, watched football as their father sat nearby in a chair. Suddenly he slumped forward and fell to the floor. Both sons realized immediately that something was terribly wrong. His color was gray and his breath uneven, rasping. Frightened, Tim's older brother told him to call 911. Before he could respond, a voice he had not heard in ten years, a voice he could barely remember, interrupted. Don't call 911, son. Tell your mother that I love her. Tell her that I'm all right. And Tim's father died. So Tim is now a cardiologist, um, goes on, because his he had died unexpectedly at home, the law required an autopsy. He said, my father's brain was almost entirely destroyed by his disease. For many years I've asked myself, who spoke? Who are we really? I've never found the slightest help from any medical knowledge. Much of life cannot be explained. It can only be witnessed. It can only be experienced. So this inquiry, which is really at the core of every spiritual tradition, this investigation as to the nature of like, who really am I? What am I? And if you ask that question and your mind is busy with thoughts, you'll land on another thought. And that's what happens usually. I mean, the reason that we don't, even when in teaching about deep inquiry, say, so just pause in any moment and ask, who's here? Who, are, who am I? The reason is because your mind will be so busy, you'll just lay another idea about it. Oh, well, who I am? Well, I'm a woman speaking to a group of people. Of course, did I, you know. So it takes a certain amount of quietness so that the inquiry can drop into a much deeper place. What you'll find is that as you quiet, and you can sense this, you can close your eyes and just sense kind of that you're here and there's listening and there's waves of experience of sensations and thoughts and feelings. But you can also sense if there's some quietness, and some of you might not notice this, but it's something to kind of be alert to. And you say, who's here? There's kind of a ghost self here. There's a sense of some awareness or presence that's kind of in the background. It's the self who's trying to follow instructions right now. The self who's curious. The self who's wondering about how do you figure out who's here, you know. So there's kind of a ghost self. And if you keep paying attention and you sense, okay, there's kind of behind the curtain, there's some vague sense of a self who's in charge of the meditation or maybe the ghost self is the self that things are happening to. It's the doer. And you keep on paying attention and say, well, what's aware of that? And they just let go. Say, what's aware of even that? The true seeing is the seeing of no thing. There's really nowhere to land. It's not a conceptual process. Your thoughts can't imagine what's beyond thoughts. They can't capture it. So you just relax with this mystery. 
as with all inquiry, there's just this deepened presence and just sense the possibility of being the presence. Being the silence that's listening right now. Being the stillness that's aware of all this vibration and aliveness. And you can find that the attention can move back and forth, that your inquiry says, well, what's happening? And you start being very aware of the foreground of sensation and aliveness. Our inquiry can say, well, who's aware? And you sense this mysterious presence. You know, just open your eyes for a moment. Just, just to sense where we've been tonight. Um, in a daily way, inquiry turns life into an adventure. It's like no matter what's happening, when you start bringing this quality of interest, if you bring it to emotional tangles, it'll undo those. But Henry Miller just talks about it in a broader way. He says, the moment one gives close attention to anything, even a blade of grass, it becomes a mysterious, awesome, indescribably magnificent world in itself. Pause. What's here? So we bring attention to this here-ness and we bring attention to others. We start looking and it's all, it doesn't matter who you're with. If you pause and really get curious, it's this entire journey of discovery. Who's here? And then in the deepest way, as I mentioned, this who am I question allows us to realize and inhabit our beingness. It's what we yearn for. So we'll do a a final, very brief inquiry and close tonight. Entering this pause with curiosity. That basic question, what is this? What's happening? And the more you have this letting be, can I let this be? The more you let life be just exactly how it is, the more there'll be a realization of what's happening. These two wings go together. So for these next few moments, letting be whatever is happening, a radical relaxation or surrendering. Letting be this river of sound, changing, appearing, disappearing. Letting be this fountain of aliveness, this outpouring, tingling and vibrating, 
like points of light in the night sky, this dynamic world of aliveness. letting go over and over into this river of experiencing, letting it be just as it is. What is happening? What's it like? Deepening the inquiry and sensing, what is aware of this? if you're turning the attention back to the one that's aware, that one awareness and then just relaxing and being that the interest can keep being there, noticing what's happening this living, changing world. Who's aware of it right now? Just turning back and looking to see with interest, with openness. And then just letting go into that vast mystery, that sea of wakefulness Rumi writes, the lamps are different, but the light is the same. One matter, one energy, one light, endlessly emanating all things. One turning and burning diamond, one, one, one. Ground yourself, strip yourself down to blind, loving silence. Stay there until you see you are gazing at the light with its own ageless eyes. So thank you. Thank you for your interest and care and attention. The talk you just listened to has been freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation, learn more about my schedule or about programs offered by the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, please visit either my website, which is tarabrock.com, our IMCW site, which is imcw.org. Thank you very much.